Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Movie Brats podcast, presented by Dogwood Radio. I am Carter and joining me as always is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing well and I'm excited that I'm going to be going to New York City this weekend and seeing Peter Liu, directed by Mike Lee, with him in person, and uh, High Life uh, with the director Claire Denis and the star Robert Pattinson, uh, those two films were both in my top 10 that I was looking forward to this year. So uh, I'll see a lot of other movies too, but uh, I'm really, really excited for those two and to be able to see the filmmakers. And I can talk about that uh, sometime in the near future because yeah. High Life, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're coming out in New York, but they'll probably pretty quickly come to, you know, at least somewhere near you. Yeah, those two will probably be out nationwide by the end of the month, at least hopefully. But that's one of the things that's always incredible about seeing movies in new york is a lot of times especially if it's close to the release date the filmmakers will actually be there at the screenings and do q a's and stuff like that which is a really enlightening experience every time you do it so to do it for those two movies with those two directors is like insane um and uh the um man who killed don quixote is playing next wednesday and i won't be in new york then but uh i could have gone to see an interview with him on wednesday uh but i'm i'm really irritated that it took him like 30 years to make this film and they're only screening it one night in the united states and that's when i'm teaching one of my classes uh (laughs) It's so ridiculous that, you know, it took him forever to make the film and yeah. they're, oh, we're going to show it one, one time, one day. That's and what, like almost, April 14th or something like that? It's coming pretty soon, uh, isn't it? April 10th, I think. It's April next 10th, Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. is so weird. Like, Terry yeah. Gilliam's it's not like, that, like, minor of a director. He's a pretty big name. He's made big movies. You'd think they'd have a wider release for something like this. That's such a huge passion project for him. It is weird. It's, I mean, I had to drive to Charlotte to see the house that Jack built because that was only playing one night, one day. But that's a much and more obscure kind of movie. <laughs> it's still, but to me, Lars von Trier is like one of our most acclaimed. Oh well, yeah, but you he had made like the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus or any of the other kind of big budget stuff Terry Gilliam has done. Well, but Terry Gilliam hasn't made. Well, okay, I'm not saying he hasn't made a good film in 20 years, 25 years, yeah. but he's not made a film that like anyone knows about hardly no, that's uh, true his last movie yeah. what was it zero theorem barely anybody yeah. went and saw that right um but uh there is a connection because uh tilda swinton appears in that film and uh there is a uh trailer that just came out for the dead don't die jim jarmusch's zombie comedy that has everyone i mean let's just list the main people we have bill murray tilda swinton tom uh well uh, danny glover tom waits iggy pop Riza, Selena Driver. Gomez, yeah, Adam Driver, Chloe Sevigny, Rosie Perez, Carol Kane. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm listening, I'm missing five people still, but uh, yeah, the trailer and the poster just came out, and it's going to come out this summer. Uh, it's it one looks of the like it's going to be a romp. I mean, yeah. the trailer made it look like it's going to be hilarious. Adam Driver and Bill Murray look like they're playing like two partners in the local police force who take this zombie invasion in a very deadpan sort of way. And uh, Jim Jarmusch, he's usually made these very, you know, he's like an indie icon. He makes like such a cerebral and sort of stripped down kind of movies. Stranger Than Paradise is one of his big ones. But this seems like it's the most fun he's had making a movie maybe in his entire career. 
Um, yeah, I mean, he did Only Lovers Left Alive a few uh, years ago, but even that, it's almost like one of his other movies, except they just happen to be vampires. Yeah. It's like they're just hanging around and listening to music and smoking cigarettes. Uh, but this one really looks a lot like Zombieland. And, yeah, you know, exactly. Zombieland 2 is coming out, with the and Bill Murray's in the original Zombieland, so that's another connection. But mm-hmm. um, another thing uh, that uh, I'm really excited about, and you are too, is that it seems very likely that Terrence Malick's new film is going to premiere at the Cannes Film Festival next month. And they've changed the title, actually. I don't know if we've been mispronouncing it this whole time, Radigan, <laughs> but they've changed the title to A Hidden Life. Yes, much easier to pronounce. Right. And I, I, I wonder if he has added pressure like on himself to not cut out two of the actors, because two of them have died since they finished shooting. Bruno Gantz died yeah. a few months ago. And then the lead actor that was in The Girl with the Michael Dragon Michael Nyquist, tattoo. I think is his name. Yeah. Right, yeah, they've uh, he died like a year and a half ago. So, and it's something uh, he's been known to do is cut actors out completely out of his movies, even if they've shot seemingly hours of footage. And um, it seems like uh, The Dead Don't Die could very likely uh, premiere at Cannes, and also if Tarantino finishes editing his film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, could quite possibly premiere at Cannes. Oh, wow. So it'll be exciting. And we'll probably have some more Cannes discussion down the line. But just to wrap up some other sort of movie news uh, from the past week or so, Denzel Washington and Frances McDormand uh, were set to star in Joel Cohen's adaptation of Macbeth, which is going to be his first movie without his brother Ethan Cohen's participation since. Uh, I don't know. When was, when was the last time they were not credited as co-directors? I don't it's know. Like, oh, wasn't it? Oh, brother Arthur, or something like that. I think it's like around the you know cent- this century is when yeah. they started uh, all their films. Uh, for you know the last many have had them both listed, but I mean they really have always been the directors. Just one yeah. was listed, Joel. But yeah, um, I mean that's you know ama- I just I'm drooling at the idea of. I didn't Denzel even Washington. know this was being made until I saw this news like Thursday or Friday. I know. I don't think anyone did, and I don't know why only one of them's doing it. Uh, but maybe one of the ones like uh, you know, Ethan was like, ah, "I don't want to do this. Yeah. You you go do it." And McDormand's um, been in a lot of their movies, but this is Denzel's first time in well, a Cohen movie. We can't call it a Cohen Brothers movie, which is a little bit weird. But I mean, I'm so excited for this. Hopefully, it comes out maybe 2020. Hopefully, it's not 2021. And apparently, um, it's an updated version of Macbeth. So we'll see how he ends up doing that. Uh, there's been a long uh, tradition of really good Macbeth films. There is Roman Plansky's film, which I think uh, is the best film uh, based on any Shakespeare's work. Uh, there's Orth- Orson Welles' film. Mm-hmm. There's Throne of Blood, which is one Kurosawa. of my favorite Kurosawa films. So I can think of us off the top of my head three really great ones. Uh-huh. There was one a few years ago with um, Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard, yeah. which was really stylish. Um, it had some really good acting, but it wasn't uh, great. But uh, it's one of his most uh, acclaimed plays, one of his most uh, put-on plays, I think. Yeah. Would you say it's with the Hamlet? It's shortest, and... and it's definitely, I feel like, the most adapted. It's something that everybody reads in high school. And Francis McDormand as Lady Macbeth is, like, such an exciting prospect. I can't wait till we actually get to see this. Yeah, um, and I guess we should mention uh, on a sad note that Anya Svarda died at 90. Um, even though she was 90, I didn't think that she would ever die. She had her most recent film premiere in February at the mm-hmm. Berlin Film Festival, and she just recently 
just a you know year year ago I think became the oldest competitive Oscar nominee ever for her previous film Faces Places, which was absolutely wonderful and beautiful. And I I feel bad. I've only seen a few few of her films. Uh, one the American title is Happiness. And I've seen Vagabond and one called The Gleaners and I. But she was just such a wonderful filmmaker. Her films are often so light and full of life. But then there's movies like Vagabond that have darkness. But she was just such a master filmmaker. And yeah, it's it. Now we only have uh, Sob Jean Luc Godard still alive. And I I kind of had a feeling that he would be the last one. You know, uh-huh. he's you know he's gonna. I I I think he might live to be 110. Oh my you know, god, he's, yeah. He's like a yeah. cockroach. He's gonna outlast us all. <laughs> I know, but uh, I saw that Jr. the much younger co-director of the film Faces Places, let a cardboard cutout of her float off mm-hmm. into the sky with balloons. And they actually, I don't know if it's the same one, but uh, they had last year the Oscar luncheon, and uh, Varda couldn't make it, so Jr. brought a cardboard cutout, so everyone was getting pictures <laughs> with a cardboard cutout. And there's also you should go online if you've never seen it when she got her honorary Oscar. Uh, very recently and uh angelina jolie was one of the presenters and at the end of uh our varda's speech she does a little dance and she's dancing with angelina jolie so yeah uh she was a really good interviewer she made great narrative films and documentaries so um and we still have another film of hers to come out theatrically in the u.s i think it's called uh varda by Agnes. uh so yeah uh, big 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 loss i mean arguably the most uh, acclaimed and best female director who's ever lived mm-hmm. are definitely um, one of the most important. So uh, what movies are we going to be talking about this week, Carter? So yeah, in addition to uh, all this news and the heaviness with Agnes Varda death, we actually got around to seeing some movies this past week. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is The Beach Bum uh, from director Harmony uh, Corrine. Give me a uh, lucky lotto and a cigar, would you? Sure. You don't sell acid, do you? No. That's too bad, man. Uh... I write poetry. I like to have fun, man. Moon dogs from another dimension. (laughs) Moon dog? You look like shit. I look like I always look. What is wrong with you? (laughs) I'm fine. God damn! Life's a fucking rodeo. I'm gonna suck the nectar out of it and fuck a raw dog till the wheels come off. It's a really wild movie. Uh, it is about Moondog, played by Matthew McConaughey, a sort of Hunter S. Thompson-style poet who once wrote a masterpiece but is now a burnout living on his royalties in the Florida Keys. And uh, unforeseen circumstances leave him penniless, and he needs to go through a series of misadventures while trying to write his next great book. Uh <laughs> That is sort of the most basic plot I could come up with for it, because more than anything, it's just like a series of scenes that are very loosely tied together with uh, Matthew McConaughey sort of carrying the movie. Some other actors appearing in it are Isla Fisher as his wife, 
Snoop Dogg as a sort of <laughs> fictional alter ego who's like a rapper millionaire who's one of Moondog's best friends. And then we've got Jonah Hill as his agent. Uh, Zach Efron as someone who goes to rehab with him. Uh, Jimmy Buffett appears as himself. <laughs> and we get Martin Lawrence as a dolphin guide ship captain. Uh, it premiered at South by Southwest on March 9th and uh, was released wide this past weekend. It's got a 56 on Metacritic, a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, and opened up uh, with $1.8 million at the box office uh, this past weekend. The worst opening of McConaughey's career. Uh, <laughs> all that being said, what did you think about it, Jonathan? I really loved it. I think it might be my favorite film <laughs> of the year. I just found it really funny and oddly melancholy and really moving. It's the first Harmony Corinne film that I felt, you know, it's playful and it's silly and it's a stoner comedy, but it was his first film where I really felt like there was some sincere emotion in it. And I think honestly, Moondog might be the best performance of Matthew McConaughey's <laughs> career. And he's given great performances like Dallas Buyers Club, but other actors could have done True that detective, role. No I one think el- of as being very iconic for him. But yeah, that's but, TV, you might count it a little differently. Yeah. Nobody could have done Moondog like yeah. Matthew McConaughey's perfectly <laughs> cast. And I love the fact that he doesn't mind looking fat and gross and you know very still gross have this- for a lot of it. He is not like yeah. traditional handsome Matthew McConaughey. Like he is a bum. Like he really yeah. looks a part of a bum. He wears like these sunglasses that he flips up the entire movie, and he's got this long stringy hair that he looks like he never washes. And he has a fanny pack, and half <laughs> the time he's dressing in moo moos or just you know women's, women's clothing. clothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just found the. Fa- I what I like about it is that it's one hundred percent a Harmony Corinne film, and yet it's his most accessible film, I think, by far. Uh, Spring Breakers. Spring Breakers, yeah. Yeah, but that film, and and they are, you know, they do have uh, a number of things in common, but the thing that makes this one stand out, um, and I'm not saying it's better than Spring Breakers, but it's definitely uh, the one that it's the easiest to like of all of Corinne's films. And I just found it, uh, I mean, I would go out on a limb and say it's the best stoner comedy since The Big Lebowski. Yeah, it's up there. Pineapple Express is when you think about uh, this definitely gets like the stoner uh, sort of in the filmmaking, in the style of it. Uh, Pineapple Express is sort of traditional comedy. Like this is all over the place. Uh, at points of it, I was like, what the hell am I watching? Uh, when it hits its peak and like its stride, I think all of my favorite scenes were the ones where Jonah Hill was in it as his agent with like a ridiculous like Deep South accent. Uh, he was unbelievable. But it, I mean, sometimes it does drag. Uh, it, I, well, it, overall, I really a- liked it. It was really funny. The soundtrack was incredible. It had a really good visual style to it. Makane was amazing. But I mean, uh, well, how do you explain well, I mean, all this uh, like critical backlash to it? It's got such a low score on both Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's a film that you just have to get on its wavelength and go with it. And I think some people just, you know, didn't get on and they felt that it was, you know, yeah, Matthew McConaughey gives a good performance, but they find it meandering and, you know, tonally over the, you know, it's like there's, you know, moments of sadness and tragedy in the film, but then there's, you know, silly, you know, tragedy. 
Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it's beautifully shot. I mean, it has this like scuzzy neon. It's great use of the Florida setting. You can like feel the humidity in it. Right. And uh, I think the cast is fantastic. Martin Lawrence is really funny. I love seeing Zac Efron with his crazy facial hair and then like dancing with the big uh, black woman. It's just like. (laughs) Yeah, everyone but McConaughey comes in for like little five to ten minute stretches. He's the only person who's in it for like the whole time. So everyone when they come in is like trying to match McConaughey's level and just being as ridiculous as they possibly can be. Efron is particularly like off the rails insane yeah i mean i i always say that there's certain actors like johnny depp needs to like throw himself at a large von trier or a gaspar noe or a harmony corinne he desperately needs some crazy auteur to like have his way with him like wouldn't you love to see johnny depp do a large von trier film something like of- uh like this matthew granahay where he just totally commits to a very experimental kind of director i mean yeah It'd be better than seeing Johnny Depp do all these like uh, cologne commercials and Pirates of the Caribbean remakes. And Mordecai, like he he's <laughs> doing too many funny hat movies. But I mean, this I mean the beach bum, you know, <laughs> Moondog is such an outlandish character, but there's a real humanity to the character, even though he does <laughs> illegal acts, mm-hmm. and you could argue that he you know is endangering the life of uh, lives of the people around him at times. Uh, it's just this really. I don't know. The director, uh, Harmony Crin, writer-director, he said that he wanted it to be like, you know, like a, a weed cloud. Like you're just like kind of, you know, going through the movie and you're going into this scene and that scene. And it doesn't have like a real strong narrative thrust. But I kind of just enjoyed sailing along with the movie. And it's just – uh, yeah, I, I, I was really surprised by how much I liked it. It got really mixed reviews. But I'm like I, – I generally like – uh, Corinne's films, but I just thought this was so funny and oddly moving, and I think it's McConaughey's best performance maybe ever. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely it's up there with like Dazed and Confused is like iconic McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's one I'll definitely see multiple times. Like it's just a fun movie. Now, have you seen any of Corinne's films besides this and Spring Breakers? I have not actually. What are some other ones that he has made? He's, he did well. He wrote the thing that he broke onto the scene with was writing uh, Larry Clark's film Kids, which was this really controversial film from the '90s about children having, you know, uh, getting you know, AIDS sex. and stuff like that. Yeah, right? right, and doing drugs, and uh, and then he did his uh, directorial debut, Gummo, and he did one called Julian Donkey Boy, which uh, stars Chloe Seven G and Werner Herzog plays the father, and it was done in the dogma style, like Von Trier did you know uh with all the arbitrary rules and the only film of his i haven't seen is mr lonely which is about a island with a bunch of impersonators it's a michael jackson impersonator played by diego luna and a Marilyn monroe uh impersonator i think played by samantha morton i think so and Werner herzog's in that and there's like skydiving nuns in it um and then he did the film trash humpers which is like it's like if you took the scenes from Jackass where they dress up as old people and you made a snuff film. <laughs> um, uh, but um, And it's that's one of only about ten films my mom refuses to watch. She refuses to watch the three human centipede films, Pink Flamingos and Trash Humpers. That's up there. But and I don't blame her. The title's her, but, pretty uh, off-putting. I'll give her that. Yeah, but uh, I liked how someone who didn't like Spring Breakers said it's just trash about humpers. <laughs> I thought that was funny. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't 
you know, there's certain directors like Lars Frontier and Gaspar Noe and Harmony Crin. You don't always know how seriously you should take their art. But I do think they're very talented filmmakers and there's great beauty even in their pretentiousness and you know there's some of the you know, oh come on like that uh-huh. but yeah i really like the beach mom i highly recommend it and i honestly was like you know i told my mom i think you would like this like i said i i don't think you'll hate it i said maybe you won't love it like i did but it's a really like uh, just enjoyable stoner comedy and it works on like a deeper level as like kind of an arty film too yeah there's a very serious thread about him being like a generational poet who sort of squandered his talent and uh like there's a scene where he's like under arrest and being sentenced and the judge is like i was a big fan of yours so like he seems to have a very wide-reaching influence uh so he's not just you know like this bum and there's this thing where a tragedy happens and he needs to write his next great uh he needs to publish a book as sort of motivation for him to get this big inheritance um and it, maybe it's, you know, Harmony Corrine thinking back on how uh, he's made some very trivial kind of films. And if he wants to make something a little more serious uh, going in the future. But, <laughs> I mean, as serious as he can possibly be might be The Beach Bum, which is really saying something. Well, the next film, I mean, he's been trying to make this film for quite a while. He's been trying to do a film called The Trap that at, at least at one time was going to star uh, Robert Pattinson, Al Pacino, Benicio del Toro and Idris Elba. Wow, um, but I—that's been like forever getting made, and I don't know if they're actually going to do it still. But I—I uh, I mean, I, Al Pacino in a Harmony <laughs> Crane film. See, that's what—that's what these great actors should do. You know, you have these actors like Meryl Streep, and she's done a number of good movies. But like, I, I want to—they're very like, vanilla. I want to see Meryl Streep and Dustin Hoffman. In like a Darren Aronofsky film, or if she know. had been in like Suspiria in the uh, Tilda Swinton role, <laughs> I mean, I just love the idea <laughs> of like like take the ca- like the cast of Book Club that came out. Um, you know, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but it had an amazing cast at Jane Fonda and Candace Bergen and Mary Steenburgen, and it had like it had like six Oscar winners or nominees, and it was just like this really kind of dopey, you know, amusing film. Mm-hmm. But I was like, take that same cast and like. Let David Fincher direct them. Like that would be amazing. So I like it when crazy, uh, interesting directors get. You know, it's like what Ellen Burstyn and Darren Aronofsky did in Requiem for a Dream. It's like uh-huh. I like it when they go out on a limb and they. You know, she got nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. I would love to see uh, McConaughey nominated for Best Actor. <laughs> That's think, never gonna happen. Yeah. Maybe a Golden th- Globe. Yeah, I think he could get nominated for the Golden Globe, but even that, like, I was hoping that James Franco was going to get nominated for Supporting Actor, but I can't, like I've said before about the Oscars, I can't imagine, like, Doris Day watching Spring Breakers, like the Oh, James Franco was someone who fully committed to his role in Spring Breakers, and it should have been rewarded, because it is really outrageous. I do think Spring Breakers is one of the most important American films of this century so far. It came out the same year as 12 Years a Slave. I think it's... Yeah, I think it's more important than 12 Years a Slave. 12 Years a Slave is not a movie people talk about very much anymore. It has really disappeared. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really strange that, um, you know, there's been so many... Sort of a random aside... Well, I was, I was going to say, like, there's been, like, so many movies that have, you know, films that have dealt with the Holocaust. There's, like, a Wikipedia page about films that have, like, dealt with slavery. And there's, like, there's, like a shockingly few numbers. It's like, like Amistad have... and 12 Years a Slave. And, yeah. uh, and uh, that movie that came out a couple years ago, Birth of a Nation. 
Well, and then there was a film that uh, McConaughey was in that about free state of Jones. Yeah. Yes, that's. But anyway, uh, yeah. So I highly (laughs) recommend the beach bum. And honestly, so do I. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um. And uh, we go on to the next film. Apollo Eleven is also a very, very good film. Uh, you want to set that up since you're kind of a, a NASA geek. You should be able to explain it better than me. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. Uh, it is a documentary that uses archival footage uh, from NASA, very inside stuff to show the 1969 Apollo Eleven mission, which was the first space flight to land humans on the moon. I'd like to know what you feel uh, as far as the responsibilities of representing mankind on this trip. That's uh, relatively difficult to, to answer. Uh, it's a job that we collectively said that, that was possible and we could do. And, and of course, that the nation itself is backing us. So we just sincerely hope that we measure up to that. Apollo program was designed to get two Americans to the lunar surface and back again to Earth safely. The enormity of this event is something that only history will be able to judge. Apollo 11 has very simply been given the mission of carrying men to the moon, landing them there, and bringing them safely back. Very interesting that it came out this close to First Man, which came out last October and deals with almost the exact same subject matter. But this one is a documentary giving you uh, like the actual footage from the mission. Uh, it's directed by Todd Douglas Miller, who's previously made sort of like Nat Geo type documentaries. There was one about a archaeological dig of the biggest T-Rex ever discovered. So that's sort of his wheelhouse. Uh, it premiered June, sorry, January 24th at Sundance, uh, opened wide on March 1st, and unlike Beach Bum, has been absolutely lauded by critics. It's got a 90 on Metacritic and a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I very much agree with the critics. It is an outstanding movie. Uh, the footage, I really, it was unbelievable. I was like, is, can this be real footage? Is this not yeah. like staged? <laughs> I know. Well, have you ever seen Sarah Pauly's film called Stories We Tell? I haven't. That got really like rave yeah. reviews a couple I, years ago. I know. The reason I mentioned that is because that's a film that brilliantly like stages documentary footage. Like re- they 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 shoot new footage to make it look like old home videos. Like there were scenes oh, in wow. uh, Apollo Eleven where I was like, this isn't like old footage. Like this is so remastered. The <laughs> yeah. image is so sharp. It's like, this is like first man footage. Like this is outtakes. And some man. very creative like camera work. The NASA camera people were extraordinary. There's this one shot that like in mission control where we like pan down every row after row. And it's like 30 seconds. And I'm like, this is incredible. Who thought of this? Like when they it's were like doing a Kubrick the shot or something. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, um, whoever, and everybody's like turning and looking at the camera. So, I mean, like, you know, it's a real documentary, but it's like, this is incredible footage. Well, uh, what, what, it's a movie that, in, in a weird way, it kind of reminds me of something like Moneyball, where you, I don't particularly have a strong interest, uh, in, well, de- definitely not in science, but with NASA, but the film doesn't treat the audience uh, like they're stupid. It, you know, it says the jargon and the scientific mm-hmm. terms, and it really is a smart film, but by focusing in and really showing the minutia and the step-by-step preparation and everything that went into it, you're just absolutely gripped with the film Mm -hmm. and i think that one of the things that's so powerful and it's and i like i think we say this about every single film it really should be seen in a theater because there's almost like experimental film Mm -hmm. like visuals like minimalist film you know where they'll be like almost the entire screen is black but there's like a little bit of the spaceship and it's just mesmerizing and there's scenes that go on for quite a while where you know the spaceship is landing or they're going somewhere and it's just I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And even if I didn't completely understand what was going on, you know, with the scientific uh, terminology, it's just utterly gripping. Like you get it, it, it manages really well to combine the scientific with the human, you know, g- you know, actually going through pushing the, you know, papers around and pushing the buttons and doing all it, it combines the human element and the scientific really, really well. And the like late night shifts that the crews had to do back in Mission Control. But, like, as you were saying with the visuals, like, the launch was one of the most impressive, like, visual things I've seen in a movie theater in a very long time. And gave me, like, a sense of the power of the space shuttle to, like, an extent that nothing I've seen before has really, uh, I mean, given the sense of the power and just how much fire there is. You're in, like, this close-up, very, very close to where it's launching. And you just, like, see it go up and you see, like, these giant flames. Like, it's like a... It's like you're inside of a volcano. It's unbelievable. And you get, like, uh, some really cool 60s stock footage of people at the launch sitting uh, in their cars in, like, the Florida Keys or whatever the hell it is at Cape Canaveral. And uh, just all these 60s white people. So it's just really funny. It just as like, a time capsule to see just what everybody's wearing and what they look like and what they're all doing. Um, so just from that, it was very interesting, like five minutes. But aside from that, all of the the stock footage was just unreal. And I loved how, like, in the post in credits, the cinematographers, they had, like, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong credited as cinematographers. So I love that they have, like, an IMDb credit as uh, camera, <laughs> camera workers at this point. Um, one thing I was wondering is why this documentary didn't come out in 1970, because in 69, there was uh, the moon landing, there was Woodstock, and there was the Ultima, you know, the Gimme Shelter, and Woodstock and Gimme Shelter came out in 70. Why wasn't this a documentary the next year? Why yeah. did it take 50 years, I wonder? Well, it seemed like they had just an unbelievable amount of footage from what I was reading about it, and just yeah. the job it took to... <laughs> I mean, I can't believe, like, because the cameras, the shots we see are cameras that were running basically the entire seven days that they were (laughs) on the mission. So they had to, like, find the exact five seconds where we get the money shot and sort through that for literally every camera involved in the space shuttle. So just the process is unbelievable. And the way they did, uh, very much how they did with, um, what was the World War I movie, uh, They Shall Not Grow Old? How they blew it up to 70 millimeters so it looks incredible on the big screen. Um, So if it had come out in 1970, it wouldn't be nearly as impressive. And they actually do a pretty good job of explaining uh, 
the like logistics of the mission. We get these sort of animated cards every once in a while that display, you know, the shuttle and the like lunar uh, module and all that sort of stuff, and explains the route they take around the Earth to get the push off to go to the moon. And when they enter the moon's uh, <laughs> sphere of influence, it's really, I mean, packed into ninety minutes, you get a hell of a lot about one of the most important events of the 20th century. And it's yeah. sort of to coincide with the 50th anniversary, uh, which was July uh, 1969. So even from that standpoint, it's a, <laughs> it's just a wonderful movie to come out this time of year. Um, it would have been cool if it had come out in July. But uh, anytime you get to see it, it's just awesome. Um, one thing I was going to say about it, besides it being very focused on the, you know, scientific elements and, you know, the minutia of the launch and, and the whole mission, uh, I found the film like really moving because it shows when, you know, thousands and thousands of people come together, you know, and what they can accomplish for the good mm-hmm. of humanity, especially in this time of just just nasty, horrible political, you know, everyone, you know, is just so against each other. You know, everyone's like so united and getting along. It is really surprising to see. It's not something we're used to nowadays. Yeah. And the other uh, part of that, too, is there's something really cinematic about watching people do stuff. I know that sounds kind of vague, but there's something <laughs> about watching people go about their work and, just and execute doing... a job well and like how it should yeah it's why yeah, I like it... to watching journalists and all the president's men is interesting like yeah. when you just hear about oh they're just calling people and writing down notes it's like oh that doesn't seem very exciting but it, there is something really cinematic about like getting a job done and doing it well it is sort of funny um, and even though Frederick Wiseman doesn't do films with stock footage, he shoots in the present and releases it right after. Um, it does have almost a Frederick Wiseman quality where there's not, you know, a ton of voiceover. There are some title cards and there's like countdown clock, but it's very much just like you're watching the footage and it's really brilliantly edited, but you're just watching this footage and there's not, you know, there's no talking head interviews. It's uh, all, uh, the recordings of uh, the conversation between Mission Control and the people on the shuttle or news broadcasts. There's no uh, interviews after the fact. So it's about as like objective as a documentary can possibly be. And um, another thing it reminded me of is, like I just said, there's something about uh, one of my favorite films um, is the original The Taking of Pelham 123. And that's, you know, more of like a crime thriller. But even that film, there's something so rewarding about watching all these different people, all the jobs and the subway system and the police officers mm-hmm. coming together to solve something. And there's something just really life affirming and and just gripping cinematically watching these people, even though it you know on the surface it seems kind of boring at times and it's very much you know numbers countdown three hours till uh till landing there's a lot of countdowns with preposterously long times you're like we're 11 hours from when it needs to be done and then we're like oh we're at eight hours from count from a launch yeah and um yeah so even as someone who i said that literally the happiest day of my life so far in my 27 years is the day I officially found out that I never had to take another math or science class in school. You know, so I'm not a science geek at all. Um, But uh, I found this a very 
uh, stirring film. It's you know b- you know brilliantly constructed, edited. The footage is incredible. Uh, yeah, I mean it's something that will probably be uh, on CNN a lot because it's a CNN <laughs> film. Yeah. So, um, but I would recommend watching it uh, without commercials. You know, at least recording it because uh, it's, it's definitely going to be on without commercials uh, on July twentieth or whatever the hell the day is twenty first yeah. when they did the moon landing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a film that it, I, I wouldn't say it just flies by because there, there is, you know, the you know, you're it watching has some stuff. tedious moments uh, right yeah. after they landed on the moon and we're like watching them do all the stuff to get back to Earth. I was like, ah, we know what happens. Let's just get them back to Earth already. But yeah, I um, and, and it makes it for a very interesting companion piece with First Man. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, isn't it, there's the same scene where they're like they were like almost to run, they were just about to run out of fuel and uh-huh. they landed. Yeah, so I was like, ah, I know that because I just <laughs> yeah. saw First Man. It, I mean, but, it was really a credit to the accuracy of First Man because uh, everything looks so familiar from what we'd just seen. Uh, obviously, seeing Neil Armstrong, he doesn't exactly look like Ryan Gosling, but <laughs> a lot of the other stuff they got very spot on. Well, I mean, and. I can't understand how anyone could see this documentary and think that Kubrick faked oh, yeah. the moon landing. Like, I it's thought just that like, was like the the motive behind this movie coming out is just putting the like moon landing conspiracy theorists totally like shutting them up. Right. Um, so Apollo Eleven is probably not playing uh, in very many theaters anymore. But if it is, it's definitely worth seeing. And uh, go see the Beach Bum soon because it's probably not going to play in theaters yeah. for you know three <laughs> months. As, no, it might not, not be in the theaters for another week if uh, everybody didn't get off their butts and go see it, which is yeah. really disappointing. But, I mean, it'll be end up being a cult movie that, you know, 30 years from now people will love it and it'll screen it's, all yeah. kinds of midnight movie theaters and stuff yeah. like that. Now, on Rotten Tomatoes, if a film gets a 60 or higher, it's fresh. Trash Humpers is a 59. <laughs> like, I get that, you know, but I don't get – beach bum having a 50 i don't i really don't get that like I, there's no I reason to give it a really bad review i could see yeah. people not being into it and giving it like two and a half out of five but giving yeah. it like a one is like what's like really your issue with this movie there's nothing like upsetting about it or i mean you could say it's a waste of like time and good actors but uh that's looking at it a very sort of wrong way because <laughs> i mean there's a lot to it and on rewatch you can I mean, probably take certain things from it that you didn't get the first time. It's not like, uh, you know, a superficial, ridiculous waste of time of a movie. It's it's really good. It's really funny. And it's got a really good message to it, which was very surprising. Well, I was going to say that I, you know, I admire the writing, you know, the, the of uh, Richard Brody, but he's pretty much, uh, I think, the only critic that gave Apollo 11 a negative. Yeah, there's one negative mm-hmm. review. It's Richard Brody. And he said that. He really didn't like First Man, uh, but it's even you know, and he said that. But Apollo Eleven's even worse, and I like he's just so full of himself. Like I, he's a really good writer, and he really knows movies, yeah. but he's often just like so ridiculous. Um, it's hard but, to think uh, of a movie like achieving what it set out to do in a better way than Apollo Eleven did. A negative review for that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so uh, we both uh, recommend these films, and uh, there's plenty of stuff to go see. We, uh, I saw Dumbo last night in IMAX. I was the only one in the theater. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, I did go see it at 9.55 on a Monday, but still, well. it just came out, you know. But <laughs> Not um, exactly a peak time for its target audience, I'll say that much. No, I was... Um, 
Yeah, so uh, I also saw Dragged Across Concrete and the Mustang. Uh, I think that you might uh, go watch Dragged Across Concrete. Mm-hmm. And we might talk about that and Triple Frontier mm-hmm. as a double. Uh, that would be a good you know, two to talk about together. Very, very masculine, adrenaline-filled double feature. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, w- I won't give away uh, what I think about those, but um, I was trying to think. If there's anything? Oh, well. Uh, let's just mention that uh, that 51 years ago, we're recording this on uh, Tuesday. 51 years ago, 2001: A Space Odyssey had its world premiere. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. So, uh, is there anything else we want to mention before we uh, wrap up? I think we covered it pretty well. Two really, really outstanding movies. And uh, it's been a very interesting year for movies so far. Uh, and we're looking forward to reviewing some more in the future for all of y'all. Uh, so thank uh, you for listening. Oh, Jonathan, you want to say something? <laughs> well, I was just going to say some of the ones besides Peter Liu and High Life that I hope to see uh, in New York. Ashes, the purest white. Um, and I also want to see Diane, which is by... Uh, He's often been known best, Kent Jones, for being, you know, doing uh, like the New York Film Festival and being uh, like a curator. And he's done documentaries with Martin Scorsese, but he's done a film that got really good reviews, uh, starring Mary Kay Place, um, and it's just called uh, her character's name Diane. Uh, I want to see that, and I also. Um, you know, you know, there, there's just, you know, there's always stuff to see in New York. So I have to like decide what can I, the, what's the least likely movies that like I won't be able to see elsewhere. You know, so go see the obscure stuff. But yeah, and um, you know, we'll come back next week and talk about some more movies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you for listening. We'll be back with y'all next week. Let all the